You're listening to the Geekscape Network. Time to fire up the VCR. This one's my favorite. Welcome to Analog Jones in the Temple of Film. I'm Steve. And I'm Matt. And we're a VHS podcast that looks at the box art trailers and behind the scenes. And this is week two of our 90s comic book, pulp comic book month. And we're doing my favorite superhero of all time for my birthday, The Rocketeer. To some, it was the fulfillment of a dream. To others, the ultimate weapon. We got it there. But to Cliff Secord, it was just an innocent discovery. I wouldn't touch that if I... I mean, look, like a hood ornament. A discovery that will lead to the adventure of his life. I want that rocket. Not next week, not tomorrow. Now. Oh, we got company. You steer, I'll push. <laughs> Jenny's in trouble. They're working for a Nazi agent. Shoot him! The girl, the rocket will come to us. I love her, Peeve. Does she know that? She's gonna find out. Hand over the rocket! Here it comes! The Rocketeer. Go get him, kid. Rated PG. Yes, oh. we made it. We got to the Rocketeer for your birthday. What what day is your birthday? What's it is May thirtieth. I was born May thirtieth, nineteen eighty-two. May thirtieth. All right. I will uh, make sure. I can't send you a VHS that day, but I can make sure to send you a text that day. Yeah. <laughs> I'll, I'll send you a VHS when it's safe to leave our houses again. <laughs> yeah, I'm much more of a. Uh, I like to text people happy birthday. I think it's more personal, or you know, send them a gift. I'm not a big Facebook or social media. Even though I still do it on social media. You know, there's the people you do it on social media for, and then there's the people you text. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, we have a history of giving each other VHSs on our birthdays now. Yeah, I think I, I think the Dick Tracy one I gave you was yep. for your birthday last year. Yeah, and you gave me the Soldier one we've still not gotten to, and neither of us know if it works. Correct. Because <laughs> I've never put it in, because I was like, I'm not watching this until we do it. <laughs> and i'm pretty sure that's one we're not going to do until the bitter end until we need it yeah okay let's get into this joe johnson directed film now clearly this is my favorite joe johnson film but i do love almost quite a bit of what he's done yeah i think i think jurassic park 3 is kind of underrated i like it a lot uh i like captain america first adventure what else has joe done Always done. the Wolfman. I know you kind of like that one. I like the Wolfman. Yeah, I like. Uh, I think it's uh, a little slow for its own good, but it's uh, the gothic stuff works really well. It's well directed. And of course, he's done one we've already covered, Jumanji. Oh, that's right. I always forget about Jumanji. And he's done Hidalgo. I never saw that. Yeah, neither did I. I actually see. Like, I'm more of a Joe Johnson. Honey, I Shrunk the Kids, which he did the visual effects for that. Mm-hmm. He did the visual effects for Indiana Jones. Uh, I think he did Raiders. He's a Spielberg guy. He's a Spielberg protege. Oh, yeah, definitely. Well, that's why he got Jurassic Park 3. Yeah. But he's, yeah, I mean, he's a visual guy. He's, he was doing that. That's how he, you know, hung his hat, so to speak, before he got to any of this. And I'll, I'll like, anytime I see his name on a movie, I, I get excited. I know it's going to be... You know, Spielberg-esque, I know it's going to be visual, I know it's going to be an entertaining movie. Dude knows how to make a movie. Yeah, and he's really good at illustrating out effects and how he wants everything to look. So he's kind of an, he kind of started as an illustrator slash effects storyboard artist. And that's how he caught Spielberg's eye. Because he saw him working on, I want to say, A New Hope where Spielberg, or no, I'm sorry, uh, Lucas really liked him because he's just like, the visual, how he visually put together scenes were so damn good. Mm. And that's how Spielberg pretty much plucked him up and he became an Amblin, you know, household name. I mean, he did, there's so many Amblin and Universal films 
that he's not even credited on. He's just an Amblin, like, part of the family. He's just, you know, he yeah, worked on all these. And the funny thing is, is, even though he doesn't, I don't think he really has any writing credits. Oh, he does. He has a TV series, Star Wars Droids from 85. But he's actually worked on a lot of scripts, but I'm assuming it's like the visual part of the scripts. Oh, probably, yeah. Where he's completely, you know, uncredited. Yeah, like like you said, just being in the Amblin family and just sort of uh, working on like everybody in within the realm stuff yeah he's i mean he even worked on what was spielberg's big visual one that we covered um i can't remember the name of this the 80s 70s uh, nostalgia glop ready player one yeah ready player one i'm pretty sure joe johnson was used on that one too to develop some of the uh visuals but he just i think what they do is they probably hire you as a consultant and that's why you're not as credited mm-hmm I, I don't really know how that works, but for a guy who's done so much and, you know, Captain America, the first Avenger, he was hired to do that movie because of Rocketeer. And that makes 100% sense. Yeah, and it looks like he's coming out with the Chronicles of Narnia. Oh, he's going to be doing the next one of those? Yeah, I, I didn't see the Nutcracker in the Four Realms. I just looked at that and I was like, I love you, Joe Johnson. I just, I just, I'll see that movie one day way in the future. Uh, I've seen, I saw it, and it's pretty good. Is <laughs> it's it? like, yeah, it's nothing, it's nothing special, but it's pretty good. It's ninety minutes. It's an entertaining watch. It was decent, and it's visual. There's a lot of cool visual shit in it. Oh, I mean, yeah, that's that's why you hire him. Eh, it didn't do that well. A budget of 120 million made 173 worldwide. I'm sure with marketing, that budget probably ballooned to 175 easy. Yeah, broke even. It was Disney, or right? That, yeah, and he was brought in. To finish the movie, actually, he was like the reshoot director, and he was brought in to vi- uh, like finish mm. it with all the visuals because the other director didn't have as much experience with yeah, the visuals right. and stuff like that. So he was brought in, but he did so much overhaul on the movie that he actually got a co-director credit, which is pretty rare when that when like a reshoot situation happens. Yeah, you usually have to go to the, like to, like to get a co-credit. Don't you actually or co-directing credit? You have to go through like kind of like a trial to prove it. Right. Yeah, you do. You have to go through the DGA to prove it because they don't like doing that. It's like there is one director on a project. Like Robert Rodriguez had to break from the DGA to get Frank Miller on Sin City. They're not like typically one to just give that away. So he did so much overhaul on that movie that they actually had to give him co-director credit. That's so interesting. So we really broke into Joe Johnson and all kinds of stuff into this. But let's get back to my favorite superhero the rocketeer and the beautiful art deco look throughout this even you look at the fonts that were in this and the setup i I don't know if you noticed but when you get into like a lot of the look and feel of the like airstrip field and the cities you can really see the geometric shapes everywhere yeah this is very it's very precise yeah and it was a beautiful film and and I really want to talk about the visual people who put this together. Christopher Moore, who's credited as Christopher Burian Moore, and Jim Bessel, who have been working for a long time. Christopher Moore has done a ton of films that a lot of you have seen from Batman Forever. We've got The Sixth Day, The Time Machine, The Last Samurai, The Terminal, Spider-Man 3, The Book of Eli, Cowboys and Aliens. He's been working, and uh, one of our... I, I don't know how much you love arachnophobia, but I, I think it's just perfect kid trash. I haven't seen arachnophobia in like 25 years, so... <laughs> well, we got to get that one going then. I've got it over here if we need to do it. I just feel like that's you. That's like kid trash. That's like a, a starter kit movie. Yeah, I, I saw it when I was a kid. I absolutely did, but that was a, the literally last time I seen it, so that one might be worth dusting off. Yeah, from what I remember, it is um, John Goodman just having a blast. I'm sure. He always brings it, and if he's silly in it, I'm sure. <laughs> but yeah. I don't remember it, so I need to go back. Oh, yeah, I think that one's right up your alley. And then we have Jim Bissell, who also has just been doing production design forever with E.T. I mean, when you're a part of E.T., pretty much the rest of your career just falls in line. Yeah. 
you would have to do something. I don't even think you could do a bad movie to derail your career. You'd have to do something awful in your personal life to derail your career. Yeah, E.T. on a resume is pretty impressive. Yeah. I mean, he's done Twilight Zone, the movie. We've got Harry and the Hendersons, Twins, Arachnophobia, The Rocketeer, Dennis the Menace, Jumanji. Do you remember Dennis the Menace? Oh, yeah. I loved that movie as a kid. Yeah, I haven't seen that one in a long time. But, I mean, he's done so many. Good night and good luck. It's just a lot of them. And he did a lot of the, you know, like Jack Reacher in the, the Mission Impossible movies. So he went on to that. These guys know how to make a film look Hollywood. I guess that's just the simplest way to look at it. They just, they really know how to make like an iconic look. Yeah, and, and I know the, the one guy you mentioned worked on E.T., but I think a lot of people, or a lot of times they got hired was because of this movie. It was because of Rocketeer. That's why Joe Johnson got hired for Captain America. I'm sure that's why these production designers and art directors keep getting hired. This is a movie people really look at as like a technical feat, even though no one really saw it when it came out in theaters. Well, Marilyn Vance, who did the costumes to this, she's got so many movies like The Untouchables, Rocketeer. You know, you've got stuff like Pretty Woman, Time Cop. <laughs> I mean... Yeah, it's, you get these people really connected and doing these movies. And this is why... I don't know why The Rocketeer didn't take off. I don't know if it came out the wrong time or if it just wasn't... There just wasn't something to connect. But when you really rewatch this movie... And I know I'm biased. But when you really rewatch this movie, it's beautiful. It's a beautiful film. Yeah, I think... I do think... I, I Like I said, I think a lot of these people got work, kept getting work, and continue to get work because of this movie. All right, let's get into the box art. So, Matt, I know little Steve picked up this movie and wore out his VHS at his grandma's house. Mm -hmm. But what about little Matt? Did he pick this film up? No, I saw this one on TV when I was a little old, maybe like, you know, teenager. I saw I caught this one on TV, so I never rented it. Yeah, I I know a lot of people who are like that. Uh, a lot of people that when I describe my love for this film, they're like, I saw it on TV once. I you know, and they're trying not to hurt my feelings. And I'm like, rewatch it. As an adult, I think the speed is better for when you're a little older. I think that's the problem. They kind yeah. of marketed this towards kids, but it doesn't have the speed for kids. Right. It's yeah. It's not as candy filled you know candy colored and you know fast and a lot of pop music or anything it's like it is pretty kind of quiet and you know precise and more more deliberate pacing it's not a slow paced movie by all means but it's more deliberately paced it it isn't a kid's movie it really isn't yeah and maybe it's because it's got the old hollywood look you know the 20s and 30s feel or maybe i am thinking 30s and 40s feel yeah it's like it just didn't do it i mean especially when you look at films like batman and teenage mutant ninja turtles that were coming out around the same time i just don't think this movie could compete and it didn't know who to market to yeah it's like the stuff that's coming out for kids in 91 is you know teenage mutant ninja turtles 2 secret of the youth and to me that's like a benchmark for like those kind of kids movies in 91 the racketeer just doesn't feel like that at all no it really doesn't I think that's the problem. This is an adult movie that has a PG, PG-13 look and yeah. feel. Yeah, and, and, you know, I saw it, like I said, I saw it as a teenager on TV and liked it. You know, I wasn't, but I never watched it again until this. Yeah. So, uh, yeah, I was I was totally one of those people, not, you know, not trying not to hurt your feelings, but I was like, yeah, I've seen it once and I liked it, but, like, I did, I did need to, I think, uh, see it again as an adult to fully appreciate it. No, and I don't think this will ever be remade. I just don't think this is the type of movie that can sell. Like, maybe you could see it, like, redone and put on, like, a Netflix or Amazon Prime. Not a box up, not a Hollywood box office sizzler. No. Even if they made, like, a sequel, you know, and got the hype train going early, you know, nostalgia and everything like that. Because I do think this movie has found an audience since the 90s. Uh, I still don't think it would be enough. Yeah, I think this would be more tailor-made to be like a limited series on one of the streamers for sure yeah i love this film but i'm not delusional (laughs) yeah so looking at this box art you know we've got the rocketeer modern 20s font going on and it's got the little lightning bolts on it which i kind of don't 
understand. <laughs> yeah, there's not a lot of lightning in this one. <laughs> no, but I, I do really like the font. And then you've got the little visual of the Rocketeer flying through the air. And then you've got the epic look of Billy Campbell and his square jaw. You know, he's his leading man look. And then below him is the gorgeous Jennifer Conley, who just kind of is hard to look at in a good way. Um, yeah, she's, she's also so really young, which makes me feel uncomfortable. Well, uh, I think she's 21 here. Yes. Because uh, I looked it up. Because I remember, because she was, you know, she was around in like Labyrinth and stuff. So I was like, how old would she be here? Because she does look super young. Uh, she's 21 in this. Uh, but yeah, hard to look at because she's, she's a star that's too bright. <laughs> yeah. And then you've got Richard Dalton uh, looking like the perfect bad guy. I really like richard dalton as a bad guy timothy dalton i mean timothy richard dalton whoa whoa. where did i just go off to (laughs) richard dalton's a real person right i don't i don't know (laughs) we're looking it up no i'm I'm pretty sure i just made that up Um, i'm probably richard donner is what i'm going to you're just combining somebody probably (laughs) but timothy uh dalton i think is a much better bad guy than james bond good guy agree 100%. 100%. Yeah, I like him more. Every time he shows up as a bad guy, I love him. If he's a good guy, sometimes it doesn't work. Like the Bonds. I don't think those, the, his Bond movies aren't for me. Yeah, and I know he was like one of the few Bonds to do his own stunts. And he, he very much puffs his chest up. And they even give him a line in this movie at the very end. It's like, where where's your stuntman now? I do my own stunts. Where's your stuntman now, Sinclair? I do my own stunts. Uh, I'm pretty sure that line was given to him as an homage to him being a tough guy. Yeah, to him doing his own stunts as James Bond. Every movie he's in as a bad guy, I'm right there with you. I just think Timothy Dalton shines as a charismatic bad boy. Yeah, I agree. I think I think a lot of people do. I think there's like kind of a Timothy Dalton villain fan club. <laughs> I think a lot of people love him as a villain. Is he still working? Uh, I don't think I've seen oh, him. Oh wow! Much. Look at that. Toy Story Four. He had. He was a voice as Mister uh, Pricklepants. What a big shitty that movie was. I didn't like it either, but man, it did so. I mean, Toys. We're gonna disagree. I think Toy Story Three is the perfect Pixar animated film. You don't like it at all, and I love that we have that difference of opinion. <laughs> yes, I uh, don't do it to be edgy or anything like that. Just it didn't work for me. But uh, I know it worked for a lot of other people. <laughs> but yeah, he's got a great voice. So I could see he, he does a lot of animated characters. And it looks like he's been in some TV series in the past five, six years. So good for him. Because he's definitely got to be up there in age. Yeah, but he's still working. You know, mostly still working. So good for him. Uh, and there's a lot. I mean, Paul Servino, which I always forget. He shows up in this movie, too. Mm-hmm. I always forget his name. I did last week. But guess what? And unlike Dick Tracy and films in the past, I finally am starting to remember your name, Paul Servino. <laughs> it only took like 150 episodes almost. <laughs> and you know it too. I, we've had trailers with Paul Servino in it. We've had movies with him. I can't remember his name. I hope next time we get him, you forget again. <laughs> yes. Well, me too. Me too. <laughs> But uh, later, uh, so looking at the, (laughs) oh man, I love our side tangents on this one. But looking at this VHS slip, we see at the bottom, two famous people, Mr. Siskel, Mr. Ebert, gave this two thumbs up. Was this a well-reviewed movie? I think it was at the time. I think this was one that critics liked and audiences just didn't gravitate towards it. This one did get a second life on video though, right? Like Mm -hmm. people found it on video. That was the thing when it was playing on the Disney Channel or whatever, which I don't get why this was not put under. It was put under Walt Disney Home Video, but wasn't it distributed by Buena Vista? Well, Buena Vista is the overarching name of Disney Touchstone Hollywood Picture. Like it is Buena Vista is is Disney, but like it is the umbrella over all of them. Oh, wait, Buena Vista. I've, I've heard, um, obviously, there's a lot of movies, but I think this was their, like, teenager family line. Do you know what I mean? Maybe Pop- they used it as that, yeah. 
Yeah, because I think it came out with stuff like Honey, I Shrunk the Kids, The Three Musketeers, uh, Sister Act. Like, you know, it's not quite the G-rated Walt Disney, but it's also not Hollywood. Right. So this is kind of like the middle production. But they did a lot. We're covering three Disneys, this comic book. uh, uh, I didn't want to say some because I want to wait because the last one is the funniest Disney movie of all. Right, yeah, I won't say it, but I'm just, it's funny that like three out of four are Disney's. Well, that's why like a lot of, before they bought Fox and they did the whole Disney Plus, which I watched this on Disney Plus and on VHS. Uh, in the last month, because it's been a while since you and I have covered films, we've we've had some scheduling problems. We've been a little lazy. I'm not going to lie. Yeah, it's it's been weird. I've been like, you know, weirdly busy but I don't, i'm not leaving my fucking house so like, it's same. weird it's weird same so it, yeah it's a weird time but um you know now we're hitting it hard i think we're gonna do a better job i think we're more you and i getting used to the like 2020s kind of fucked yeah we're just gonna have to use these weird apps to record from afar <laughs> yeah which you and i behind the scenes everyone we have been busting our asses to get this right because it's been hard yeah, mostly we, because I've been lazy, and you're. It's okay to be lazy because it's insane right now. <laughs> Things mm-hmm. are insane. So back to the back of this box art, which is just quote city. I'm not kidding, folks. There's a back of this box with three production stills that are quite large, and yet we still have one, two, three, four, five quotes. Nice. So here we go. First quote. It's Raiders of the Lost Ark meets Top Gun, USA Magazine, US Magazine. We've got okay. Thrills Don't agree with that, but okay. <laughs> yeah, I, like Top Gun is very sleek and adult. Like I don't. That's machismo. Yeah. yeah, this is not a machismo movie. I could see Raiders of the Lost Ark a little. Yeah, fantasy forties totally. Yeah. Thrills and fun from Rolling Stone Magazine. Yep. Buckle up and hang on tight from CNBC TV. Nice. A blast. The Today Show. <laughs> and high flying entertainment from CBS TV New York. I love when they do put like a thousand quotes on the back for no reason. <laughs> well, it always seems desperate. <laughs> yeah. The production stills kind of tell the story. We've got. The Rocketeer blasting off. We've got Billy Campbell and Jennifer Conley looking distressed. And then we've got Dalton with a Tommy gun. Uh, pretty much is like, okay, high-flying adventure, romance, bad guy. Got it. Sums it up. <laughs> then our uh, description here is pretty short, so I like that. The discovery of a top-secret jetpack hurls test pilot Cliff Secord into a daring adventure of mystery, suspense, and intrigue. Cliff encounters an assortment of ruthless villains led by a Hollywood screen star who's a secret Nazi spy, Timothy Dalton. With the help of his actress girlfriend, the young pilot battles enormous odds to defeat his foes who are anxious to use the device in an evil plan to rule the world. The dangerous mission transforms this ordinary young man into an extraordinary hero. That's a good description for this movie. Yeah, it's not anything we haven't heard, but it's short, sweet, and gets to the point. And that's exactly what this movie is about, and if you're into that kind of thing, I think it sells it. It does, and I want to say this movie is maybe hundred, maybe a little over 100 minutes. Yeah, it's not super long. I could see them cutting this down to, say, 85 minutes, and this would do better. I have yeah. to be honest. Maybe maybe theatrically it may have found a little bit more, but uh, I watching it now it didn't really seem like there was any fat. On it. No, there's not much fat. I'm just saying you need to speed it up for kiddos if you're marketing it to kiddos. Right. And they screwed up with that, but that's fine because it found its life for adults and a little bit older teenagers like me. Mm-hmm. But I was lucky enough to see this in theater. Was and, there a lot of people there when you saw it? No. So it was thin it was thin because there are there there are some that are movies that kind of bombed in theaters but when i think of like the theatrical experience there were people there you know what i mean but then i think of some that were bombs and they were empty so (laughs) but disney believed in this movie i mean they they put together a, a big budget they even created a new type of camera for when the rocketeer is flying with the blue screen and everything 
to have it appear like the way they use the like um i don't know if they called it a tumble camera but basically the the way they made it shake in the sky was kind of revolutionary at the time and they ended up using it in uh batman returns or maybe it was batman forever whichever it was i can't remember one of the batmans actually ended up using this when he flew so it had to be batman returns right that was a year after this so it's possible yeah and i just remember that this camera like was really big at the time and it was it was started to be created during uh the last indiana jones and the um the last crusade but it didn't work out uh it was during the flying scene when they were in the plane in the last crusade the that's when the camera first started to be invented but it was perfected for this movie nice yeah so when it went on until cg it went on to be used for a short period of like five or six years where it was revolutionary and everyone was using it. And that's why you had a lot of flight scenes in early nineties films. Interesting. Yeah, I know. It's just Did amazing. I not know any of that. But Disney puts so much money like universal into their movies, even a movie like this, they want it to work. There's very few movies that universal and Disney tank on purpose. They usually go all out. Well, I think that I think that says something about why both of them are still at the top right now. Yeah, they like, really love premium work. Yeah, like they're they're always putting out quality content, even if the movie isn't great. They're always, you know, trying to do the advertising big. They're trying to they want to sell every movie in a real in a genuine way. I feel like. Yeah, I think Disney and Buena Vista less Hollywood. Uh, Hollywood takes a lot more risk. Because they tend to have smaller budgets. And well, and they're not even around anymore. Yeah. So <laughs> Hollywood Pictures is not even a thing. But I, I thought Hollywood didn't they just kind of close because they just they like kind of blended into something else in Disney? Yeah, they kind of pretty much just became like the Miramax once like Miramax was part of Disney. A lot of the stuff that would have probably come out through Hollywood just ended up going through Miramax instead. Yeah, but what I was trying to say is like uh, Disney and Buena Vista was very good at selecting. Now, they had a lot of family, Disney family, which was just crap, to be honest. Mm -hmm. But it was low-budget crap that made money, which helped finance a lot of the bigger ones. Mm -hmm. So Disney, even though they made a lot of mistakes in the 80s and 90s for a certain person running their company, the one thing they knew was how to, kind of like Canon, how to use these little bit before Canon fucked up. You know what I mean? They knew how to take these small budget films, make a lot of money to make a bigger movie. Yeah. And really poor quality into it. I really feel like Disney at this time, like the early nineties here felt like, and it's in, I'll, I'll explain the connections too. like felt like a, a big budget, like empire pictures. And it's funny because like, you know, honey, I shrunk the kids had Stuart Gordon work on it and stuff like that. This one is written by the guys who wrote Trancers and Eliminators. Yeah, see, there, there's one thing interesting about Empire and certain other smaller films like that. They knew talent. Yeah. And the boys who were, boys and girls who are a little bit above Canon and everything and Empire and all, well, First Empire, then Full Moon, you but you know, Canon and everything. The one thing that, the big boys and big girls were good at doing was stealing that talent. Yeah. And Disney did. Disney was get plucking these guys like from empire pictures at this time. <laughs> yeah. So what they would do is they would take these really talented people. And let's say you're making like Stuart Gordon. I think I remember hearing on one of his empire movies that he made, he made like 50 grand. He's like, I made no money. He's like 50 grand is nothing. Mm. because he used so much money of his own to travel and everything like that. That's one thing a lot of people don't realize is these are contracted people. Sometimes, you know, but these bigger boys like Disney, they're like, we'll pay for your travel, we'll pay for your food, your hotel cost, everything. Smaller production studios will give you, here's your lump sum, you get paid every 30 days. We don't cover a lot of shit, you're a contractor. Right. Which is hard. It's so hard. It's like uh, independent wrestling and stuff like that. So you got to imagine these guys coming off of writing uh, Trancers and Eliminators, getting the chance to do a big 
Disney movie like this, big adventure movie like this, they got to be relishing in it. Oh, definitely. And you're probably being paid for all your expenses. Oh, yeah, for sure. And you're probably getting your own trailer, which is (laughs) something new. But it's always fun. I'd never... I've always heard people, and you have too, you deal with the people, they're like, oh, they sold out. No, they graduated. They earned it. They earned it. They graduated to this. And it's it's awesome. It's it's like as a B-movie guy, and you're the same way as a trash guy, when these people get these opportunities to make something big, and Rocketeer isn't even like something iconic. It is to me, but most people. But when you see them graduate, it's awesome. Yeah, and I think this is a... I think this movie is a good example of that for the writers, for Joe Johnston. Like, I think this movie is a great, like, graduation of all these really good storytellers finally getting to, like, a big canvas to play on. Yeah, exactly. Well, that's a good way to, like, you have a bigger uh, canvas and you have more say. Yeah. Because you're not such, you're not restricted so much by budget. Right. Now, obviously too much budget can make you lazy. And too little budget can make you seem cheap. But you hit that nice middle ground, I think you get a really good-looking picture like this. Yeah. Where you have to be a little creative, but you also aren't hampered so much by budget. Yeah, and I think this is a perfect example of that. When I gave you this, I don't think there was any trailers on this. No, No. I can't. I don't remember any. Which is odd for Buena Vista, because usually they front-load it with trailers. Yeah, I don't remember any trailers on this. And this is the original. So this tells me that this was, I'm not going to say quick and dirty, but this was a let's just get it out and see if we make our money back type film. Yeah, I could see that. And guess what, though? It worked. It did. It really did. Plus, I mean, how much it was replayed on Disney Channel and other. Uh, this was also because I heard other people say they sold this on like TBS or TNT, which means Disney did something rare. They sold it to a third party. Yeah, I caught this on like a like regular network, like a syndication network, uh, like regular TV when I saw this. So yeah, this, Disney does not do that often. This was when they I feel like this was them them trying to kind of get it out a little bit. Well, good, because someone like you and a lot of other people uh, got to see it. But uh, yeah, so since we don't have anything to talk about in the trailers, and there wasn't much of a marketing for this. They had very few trailers. That is one thing that really sunk this film, is whoever was marketing for Disney did not think this movie was going to do well. The creative people of Disney loved this film because of how revolutionary it was at the time. So you had a, uh, you had a problem. But when you come up with this film and you sit here and you, and you watch it, it hits the quick beats. Uh, maybe it's not perfect for kids, but I think, you know, it, it like introduces your characters really fast. It introduces, oh, look at this. We found a rocket. Uh, we got to make money. We crashed our plane. Uh-oh. It's Nazis, which, you know, is kind of like the Indiana Jones. But I think this movie actually moves well. It does. It absolutely does. Like I, like I said at the top, like it's not paced for kids viewing audience. And it, it, at, at like 100 minutes, the movie mostly flies by. I think they did a good job with uh, the pacing on it, even though I said that it could have been reduced for children. But we're going to view it over what we've seen, you know, as a theatrical release. And I just really, I don't know why, but I really connected with the actors playing their characters. Like, Billy Campbell has a look where you could easily say, like, ugh, whatever. Put him on the Lifetime Movie Network. You know, we see this square-jawed, good-looking, dark-haired man all the time. But I think he has some type of childlike, like, just interest when he gets the rocket and how he's just a kid. Something, it's, it's crazy. Something about Billy Campbell in this movie reminds me of you. <laughs> i don't know he, what it is he, he trips over his own words all the time <laughs> <laughs> no just like take this as a compliment if you were a superhero you would absolutely be the rocketeer that's that is like the greatest thing i've ever heard you say about me <laughs> <laughs> no but he's just like i don't know he he is not like a lot of superheroes uh but he does remind me of peter parker 
uh, but older, where he's very curious, childlike, but he has like this grown-up mentality about what he needs to do, mm. even though he, he fumbles all the time. Yeah, but like he's relatable. He is, you know, he's the he is the perfect kind of like every man to be put in an extraordinary situation. He's just, you know, six foot two and completely handsome. Right. <laughs> but uh, he is paired up really well with Peavy, who is played by Alan Arkin, which is one of my favorite character actors. And he's great in this. He's so good in this. He actually might, at times, completely outshine Cliff, uh, which is it, Billy yeah. Campbell. There are some scenes he walks away with, for sure. Like how he's constantly teaching uh billy campbell but at the same time he starts to ramble on about technical stuff that no one cares about yeah he rambles on and like yeah goes on his you know technical things or whatever but he's so patient with everybody else especially cliff you know yeah it's it's a really good yin yang i guess kind of there absolutely uh and then we got jennifer conley which i mean does she have a bad role no, and she she truly does have like a lot to do in this movie. We see a lot of the you know damsels in distress in these kind of forties set movies all the time, but not this one. She's got a ton to do. No, yeah, she's fully involved in the plot, right? And uh, you know it's kind of fun to see her like, I love you, Cliff, but can we just stop going to the same restaurant each date night and maybe get a little bit of adventure? <laughs> <laughs> she's trying to make her own life for herself too with her acting yeah she's trying to be her own person and she knows she has to go through all the bullshit of hollywood right being an extra in a swashbuckler <laughs> yeah and I, I love how they're like oh you read that part so much better and she's like yeah but i'm not the producer's daughter so <laughs> right yeah it's like yeah yeah you're not jenny it sucks <laughs> <laughs> but then you get introduced to the bad guys which is Timothy Dalton as Neville Sinclair, and you've got Paul Servino as Eddie Valentine, which apparently Eddie Valentine was originally given to, um, what's his name from uh, Goodfellas? Joe oh. Pesci? Yeah, apparently Joe Pesci was offered the original Rose, Eddie Valentine. He turned it down, and Paul Servino was the perfect backup. I love Paul Servino. Like, uh, I know you forget who he is all the time. But I do, I really he, do. Uh, he's great. He always delivers. And he's always like a gangster or a mobster or whatever. He always plays the same part, but like he always is good. Well, I love the little triangle of Timothy Dalton working as a secret Hollywood agent of the Nazis. You've got Paul Servino, which is a mobster. And then you've got the Nazis on the other end. And when Paul Servino's Eddie Valentine finds out that Neville Sinclair is a Nazi, he's like, whoa, whoa, whoa. I may be a two-bit criminal, but I'm 100% American. Come on, kid. Hand it over so we could all go home. What's it like working for a Nazi, Eddie? Huh? You pay you in dollars or Deutschmarks? What's he talking about? Oh, yeah, I got it straight from the feds, Eddie. Nazi spy ring, flying commandos, the works. <laughs> Kids have been flying with the ass too thin. Ask him about the secret room. Ask him about the Germans on the radio. Relax, Frankenstein. You ain't bulletproof. Talk fast, Sinclair. You tell him, Eddie. Shut up! Come on, Eddie. I'm paying you well. Does it matter who I work for? It matters to me. I may not make an honest buck, but I'm 100% American. And I don't work for no two-bit Nazi. Right. And I love that line. Right. He's like, I will, I'm still not, I'm still not going to side with a Nazi. <laughs> I was like, whoa, whoa. <laughs> uh, and then you have the other bad guy, which is the main thug, which is... I always call him Frankenstein. I don't know if he actually is credited with the name. The Somebody calls him Frankenstein in the movie. I don't know if it's like the Rocketeer or Ellen, uh, whatever. But uh, I, somebody calls him Frankenstein in the movie, and that stuck with me too. Uh, uh, do you think that he is the result of Dick Tracy, uh, where you have a makeup mobster? Uh, you know, he may be. You know, like... Disney's super on the kick of like the de-aging right now. I wonder if in like the early 90s, Disney's thing was like, we got to have makeup villains. <laughs> he might have been, and it might be a perfect... Yeah, I think he is. I would say that is a really good observation. 
yeah, watching these movies back to back and knowing that they came out a year apart, I, that uh, that was the first thing I thought of when I saw them. I was like, this has to be some sort of leftover of makeup from Dick Tracy or because of the success of Dick Tracy early on, whatever. Like, that is what caused this character to be in this movie and look like that. Now, looking through the credits, I was looking for Frankenstein, and I cannot find him, so I have no idea. But I see Clint Howard was in this film. Yeah. Did you catch him at all in the movie? No, I didn't. Did you? Yeah, I caught him. He It's very quick. He's It's a cameo, basically, in the mm-hmm. movie. He, like, walks up, says something to one person, walks away, and that's it. But I caught him. I was like, there he is. There's our boy Clint. It must have been <laughs> in the airfield as many times as I don't. Yeah, I don't this. remember which scene it was, but he just, like, he, wa- he literally walks in the frame and then walks out. Yeah. Because one of the best, well, it's not a cameo, but one of her early roles, um, Margot um, Martindale, who plays Millie, mm-hmm. she runs the uh, cafe. Mm-hmm. She has been playing the same character forever, but it's always good. <laughs> she always the, uh, plays like a country bumpkin. The humble waitress. Yeah. <laughs> but she's always doing it. She's always getting work. There's there's a lot of character actors in this movie, too. Oh, like yeah. John Polito is in there. It's like the the showman guy that's... Uh, yeah, this was all this was all planned. We he, he was supposed to be here today. That guy. Yeah, what um, was his Bigelow? Was the character's name? And it's funny. Yeah. I just watched Highlander a couple nights before I watched The Rocketeer, and he gains so much weight in a span of three years. Yes. Because I just saw him, in, I just watched Chud again, and he's in Chud, and he's <laughs> he so skinny. He I know, almost, it's weird. But it, it almost, like, he gained weight, and it worked out for him, because he gained weight, and he became, like, a character. He became, like, a gangster in the your 40s movies. Like, he became, well, like, this go-to character actor. In the 80s, he did a lot of reporters mm-hmm. and detective-type work. Where well, He wasn't, like, a detective, but he was, like, a B-cop. And then before you know it, you know, you hit stuff like Rocketeer. He wasn't a mobster in this, but then you go to like The Crow and mm-hmm. he's a mobster or kind of like a a mobster thug. I don't know, whatever, a side character. Yeah, he really found his footing with that yeah. gravelly voice. Mm-hmm. Great voice. We have an emergency. Please clear the field. Please clear the field. What are you out of your mind? Ladies and gentlemen, uh, well, I guess we had your food there for a minute, but it's it's all part of the show. He is. He's just a lovely character actor that comes in, and I've also heard this about him. He, before, because I believe he passed away not too long ago. Yes. I have heard he was amazing to talk to. Yeah, I, I, I worked a convention that he was at like in 2012, I think, so it was a long time ago now. Uh, but, uh, I worked at convention and he was so nice. He was so, so nice. He was nice to me. He was nice to everybody who was there. He just, and he wasn't, you know, he, he's, he's somewhat of a big actor. Like everybody knows who that character actor is. Maybe they may not yeah. know his name, but they've seen him in something. He's well, once you, Brother learn movies his, and stuff. once you learn John Polito's name, which is something I actually remember, he's just got a great name to say Polito. Yeah. Yeah. It's a good name. Like, Same thing with another character actor in this Terry O'Quinn who is also somewhat kind of a leading man in his earlier roles because he played like the stepfather and a couple other ones. Yeah. Yep. Another one that kind of changed his look and Mm -hmm. became kind of a different kind of character actor later. Like when he shaved his head, he became like a whole new actor. (laughs) Yeah, because he got stuck playing dads for a long time. And then he shaved his head. And then before you knew it, you know, he's like Howard, Howard Hughes and stuff like and then lost. Once he did lost, it didn't matter. Yep. A second wave of a career for him, for sure. Yeah, I love I, I love Terry O'Quinn. I think he's great. No, it's Terry O'Quinn's a fantastic actor. I mean, you've got him in roles like Young Guns. Mm-hmm. And then once Lost hit, he basically just went to TV. And I've heard him talk about this. Is he enjoys TV series more than movies. Hmm, interesting. Yeah, I remember him saying, because you get to develop your character more. Interesting. And he's done a lot. Yeah. A lot. I mean, everyone wants a piece of Terry O'Quinn now. Yeah. And, like, he just, he fits so well in this world, too. Like, like as a 40s, kind of. Because he, he does look like Howard Hughes. He does. Like, 
<laughs> like it, he perfectly fits in this. Yeah, someone else was uh, so uh, Howard Hughes wasn't the original character from the comic books in this. Uh, the inventor of the rocket, I forget the character's name, but uh, for some reason it didn't work out, and everyone thought it was genius that they just used Howard Hughes at this time period to create the rocket. Yeah, it makes sense, right? Like he was an inventor in the '40s, so. <laughs> yep. Part of me wishes they could have figured out a way to make him like a germaphobe. Like if he would have shaken someone's hand and then immediately washed his hands. Yeah. But whatever. Maybe that's too much. Uh, yeah. And then you've got so many more uh, going through this because the detective Fitch, it's just played by Ed Lauder. He's been in a ton. I mean, he's famous for um, Death Wish 3 where he plays Is the really shitty cop, but he always plays an FBI agent, a cop or whatever. Another great face. Another character actor. Yeah, he's in the 76 King Kong, too, I believe, as a detective. <laughs> he's and in, Cujo. He was in Cujo, too. Uh, yeah, this guy's got a great face. I love this guy's face. Yeah, he always kind of plays like a shitty cop, too. Yeah, he's a, uh, kind of a dirty cop kind of guy. All right. Maybe we should get into the, the actual... I, I don't know. Is there anything else you want to talk about, like specific scenes? Well, I think, like... When the first takeoff of the Rocketeer, when the, he, when Billy Campbell, when Cliff first puts on the suit and uses it, this is just classic like Amblin magic. You know what I mean? Like that kind of childlike wonder, like the childlike view of the world uh, in the best way possible. Yeah, I mean, mixed with the music, the like Amblin type music. Mm-hmm. You know, it, it just, it does. It has that, like, wonderful, iconic family feel. Mm-hmm. Kind of, like, just magical. And especially, like, I really felt that in that scene when he first, like, takes off. And it's just, it's it's like classic Spielberg, kind of. Well, yeah, and the score to this is amazing. Yeah, I love, I do love the score to this. Which I thought was Alan Silvestri for the longest time. Who did this one? Is this I think Horner? it's, like, uh, Horner. Horner did this and created this entire, but it feels so universal Amblin yes. DreamWorks mm-hmm. that it's one of my favorite scores. Obviously I'm biased, but like re-listening to it, I just forgot how good it was. It just matches the feel of what they were going for. Yeah, absolutely. It is, uh, Honestly, like all the pieces are in place here because we talked about like a production design at length and we talked about Joe Johnson at length, but like the actors are so well cast and then like, yeah, the music is so right on. Everybody got it. Everybody knew what they were doing with this movie. Like, and I think that's why Disney believed in it. You know, at first they may not have known how to market it, but I feel like they believed in it because all the pieces are in place really well here. Yeah, completely agree. I think there's so much that works in this. And even the finale, which is big, just big enough, where they're sitting there fighting on that blimp. It blows up. Uh, You know, you even have Dalton putting on the rocket and the gum that Petey, uh, the PB put on it to, like, keep it from exploding, you know, then kills Dalton. And it's just, it's just fun. There's so much fun in this film. If you've not seen it, I fully recommend that you go back and watch this. Yeah, I, I do too, because I hadn't seen it in at least 15 years, uh, probably more. And I really enjoyed it so much more now than uh, when I did when I, and I liked it the first time I saw it, but like it, it is, it's for adults, I think more. And I really, I think like the people that may have kind of grown up knowing it was around, Maybe you haven't seen it. Maybe only saw it as a kid. I do think it's worth a rewatch uh, now because I, it, it doesn't quite work as a kid's movie, even though it has a childlike wonder. It almost has more, because of it, maybe because it's a 40s thing, more of a nostalgia thing about it. So when you are an adult watching it, you feel like a kid again. But if you watch it as a kid, you may not appreciate it as much. So it's like a, it, it, it's that kind of layers to it, I feel like. Yeah, I think that encapsulates it well. Like, as an adult, it has a childlike wonder, but as a kid, you probably don't appreciate all the work and how it connects really well. Mm-hmm. 
So yeah, that's a good point. But I, I think it's I think it's time we go to the museum. All right. This is the second time I've had to reclaim my property from you. That belongs in a museum. So do you. This is the part of the show where we go into the film jungle like Indy and bring something back for our wing of 90s comic book films. And I'm going to go first again because um, okay. I, I have to. I'm putting in the costume. I love it so much that I own it. I had the jacket made for myself, the jeans, or not the jeans, but pretty much like the pilot pants. I have the helmet. And for my 38th birthday... I finally ordered the kit to put together the rocket, which I will paint. That's how much I love this. I, I actually nice. cosplay <laughs> as a rocketeer. Yeah, I've seen you dress up for Halloween as the rocketeer before. I love it. Uh, so I, st- I had to get in front and take that because you couldn't have it. But now you can have whatever <laughs> you want. Oh, man. You know, this one's tough because there is so much that I like about this movie. But you know what? I think I'm just going to put... The, the thing I think that comes across the best is, and this may come from a production design, this may just come from the director, I don't know, but the, the time period vibe, the fact that this feels so late 30s, early 40s, with the architecture, with the uh, uh, costumes, with everything, I think the, peri- the time period is done so well here. And it is heightened. It is like the comic book version of the early 40s or whatever. But I love this look. So I feel like just this this period setting gets a, gets a mention in the museum for me because I think they nail it. I agree. I do. And even the like golden hue that goes around with it. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, I don't know. If, I guess maybe the center photographer, whoever would do that. But I feel like just like all the characters feel so fancy. Yeah, it all feels like from that time, weirdly. Everything clicks into place here for what they, for the time period they were going for. And like I said, like a comic book version of that time period. It looks right, it sounds right, it feels right. It all comes across as genuine. I agree. All right, that's going to end it this week. Thank you for celebrating my birthday with my favorite movie. Yes, happy birthday, happy Rocketeer Day. <laughs> Damn right. Everyone enjoy Memorial Day, even though this will, this will probably come out, at, oh, it definitely will come out after Memorial Day, but we recorded it around Memorial Day. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> All right, everyone, remember to be kind. And rewind.